0: This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. And Claudette, certainly nice to see the sunshine.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. And the blue sky, yeah. Yeah, I
1: popped out over the uh, the lunch break and uh, driving up Camat Road. I was like, ah. I
2: can't see. Yeah, you needed sunglasses. Yeah. Time of the year, though, though, though when you put it on, it uh, makes your nose cold. <laughs> That's true. Or yeah. it steams up. Yeah, it steams up. That's why, you know, when I go for a walk uh, in the winter, I don't wear my glasses <laughs> for that very reason. I
1: hear you. I know exactly what you're talking about. But uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I can feel that now, now that you mentioned that, that coldness on the bridge of your nose. And it. Uh, it yeah, has that, uh, it's a n- little bit of annoying kind of feel. You get used to it after a while, but I guess what you should start doing is bring your sunglasses into work so it warms up, and then you go out with your there sunglasses. There you go, <laughs> life hack. There you go. Um, it
1: reminds me that feeling, you know, on the bridge of your nose. It reminds me of. Um, did you ever wear like cold packs on your eyes? Yes. You ever do that? Yeah. And you get those cold packs on your eyes, and all of a sudden your your eyes feel like two big <laughs> eggs inside your head. And you you're like, oh, this is not pleasant. I have to take this off. Yeah. <laughs> Just put me in mind of that. Anyway, it is good to see the sun out. And the, you can see the days are lengthening out a little bit Just again. Just a
2: little bit. Yeah. And uh, it can only get better. <laughs> right?
1: Until when? June. June, and that it starts And then it starts back. going yep. back down again. But, uh, yeah, it's sad because some of the longer days are still not optimal here in newfoundland Mm -hmm. and labrador if you know what i'm saying and a lot of places i'm sure but uh yeah oftentimes it's the longest day of the year and uh, people celebrate it and it's like it's been overcast all day and nobody knows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> there you have it. But yeah, it is uh, nice to see those days lengthening out again. I'm one of those people who definitely is affected when the days shorten, you know, those kind of things. But anyway, so if you recall yesterday, we had a chat with uh, the opposition energy critic Lloyd Parrott who was asking some questions about work that's recently gone out of province for the Sea rose FPSO, the um, uh, refit work there. The province's energy minister now is firing back after the PC's raised questions about refit of the Sea rose FPSO. Uh, the Sea rose bound for Northern Ireland to have some significant work done there. PC MHA Lloyd Parrott wondering why at least some of the work can't be done in this province. Here's some of what Parrott said yesterday on VOCM News Talk.
3: You know, my concern right now is that not only do we not have a community benefits program in place that puts Newfoundlanders and Labradorians first and assures that they're the ones working on these types of jobs, uh, but the government is okay with this work leaving the province, and and it sends a very uh, clear message to the oil and gas companies that they can come here and do what they want, that Newfoundland, this Newfoundland government, I I will say, you know, I, I don't believe that they support oil and gas. I believe that they're looking to transition away from it as quickly as they can. And they're satisfied to bring in dirty oil from, you know, warlords on other sides of the globe.
1: Have you been speaking with the Department of Energy or Energy NL, for that matter, about this?
3: Well, there's been questions asked to the minister for certain about it. And, and, you know, you get the same answer all the time. And the answer is pretty standard about, you know, this is a private company doing this work. and And you know what? I get that. But government has a responsibility to have these conversations with those entities to ensure that we are the primary beneficiaries of all of the work that can be carried out here. And, again, I'll go back to the Terranova. The Terranova went to Spain. It came back. The work was inadequate, and it had to be redone here. And it just seems like we don't learn the lessons. And, you know, if there's work to be done on the hull of the Rose, which I don't doubt that there is, that work probably cannot be done here. I would never argue that point. We don't have a facility large enough that, that can take the C-Rose out of the water, so to speak. We should have a facility that could do that. Argentia could have been capable of doing that if the Liberals didn't sell out on it. And Bull Arm can still be capable of doing that at some point. The reality is, that as long as this work is happening here, it should be done by men and women in this province.
1: So that's some of what... Uh Opposition um, uh, energy critic Lloyd Parrott had to say yesterday on VOCM News Talk. Well, VOCM's Richard Duggan uh, put some of the questions that uh, Parrott raised and his concerns to Energy Minister Andrew Parsons just a short while ago.
4: Lloyd Parrott has raised concerns about news of the C-Rose FPSO refit. It's heading over to uh, Northern Ireland uh, for some pretty major work. And he's wondering why the work, or at least some of the work, isn't being done here. Um, So did government ever consider issuing tenders to have some of the work done here? Yeah,
5: I I mean, I'm wondering if the the crowd over in the PC caucus, uh, there's this thing called Google. And if you use it, you can actually track down a news release uh, that was out well over a year ago. There was actually an expression of interest for this work done back in 2022. Nobody in Canada bid on it. And realize the reality is there's no there's no where that the work can be done. Not just in Newfoundland and Labrador, but in Canada. The final contract went to Harlan Wolf over in the UK. Uh, this was done actually a year ago. There was bids issued to a number of, you know, uh, there's three that were in the running. But the long story short here is there's nowhere to do the work here. So, like, you know, to go out and, and try to fly the, you know, to put out the alarms here, is, it's, you know, it's a bit flimsy, and anybody who has access to a bit of research should know better.
4: Now, Parrott does say that uh, this is part of what he's calling a pattern of lucrative work opportunities going out of province. What do you make of that?
5: I think, again, it's trying to cause some alarm here when the reality is far from that. I mean, in fact, a lot of times we get questions about you know, our providing support for the oil and gas industry, which we have done and which we will continue to do. We see value in all the natural resources that we have. But coming back to this, this has been years in the making. If you can find me someone who could have done the work here, they had an opportunity, a full and fair opportunity to bid on that. Not only that, this is all done under the purview of the CNL OPB. Even a simple phone call to them to make sure that the rules are being followed would have shown you that everything is going as it is. Two-thirds of this work, actually, when we talk about the asset life extension, was done. In this province, when you look, you know, you don't have to get, go that far, go down there, see what's going on down there, which again, we facilitated. When we talk about the FPSO, go, the Terra Nova going back out there, which we facilitated. When we talk about the conversion going on to come by chance, which we facilitated. So to say otherwise, eh, I think you're just trying to cause some alarm when the, we're just not there. So
1: there's um energy minister Andrew Parsons not uh, overly concerned with uh, some of what uh, Lloyd Parrott uh, was uh, saying um you know uh Um, calls for bids uh, had gone out and went unanswered and so uh, the work had to go elsewhere. So um, if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, the RNC launches a recruitment drive. This is News Talk on V O C M.
0: Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday melodies on your VOCM.
1: And we're back and Claudette I know this is on your radar and uh, VOCM News has been carrying this all day but uh, Bay Roberts at RCMP asking for the public's help in identifying a commercial vehicle and its driver after damage was caused to a pickup by ice and snow that fell off the top of the larger vehicle and we've seen this from time to time especially in the last few days where we've had this snow and then some freezing rain and those kinds of things and you get that crust that's on top of your vehicle, but those larger type of trucks or vans with the big flat tops, you know what I mean? Um, I've certainly been traveling behind them uh, you know, on the on the highway. You know, that little bit of air gets in underneath that, and whoop, off it comes. And you've probably by now seen the pictures on VOCM.com of the damage that that well, caused.
2: I was really, really surprised. I mean, I've heard of people in the past saying how important it is taking the snow and the ice off your you know, uh, roof of your vehicle. But I did not know that it could do that kind of damage. I actually, when I saw a pic- the picture of the pickup truck that was involved in that accident yesterday on the Veterans Memorial, I thought it was hit by a moose or something. I mean, the windshield was just gone. Gone. Sh- yeah. It was shattered. just Shattered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and right
1: in the driver's side. So that it's driver scary. is lucky.
2: I can only imagine the sound of that coming in at you really, really fast. I mean, it must have been terrifying. Yeah. But how many of us, I've been guilty of forgetting to go on top of my roof to, to look at it. I put the question out there earlier on uh, on CM, wondering, you know, if you had any hacks uh, for getting the snow off your vehicle, here's some of what uh, people had to say. Hi, this is Mary from the Buren Peninsula. Buren, exactly. Uh, I have a hack. Uh, you can buy snow brushes for your roof. Um, it's, you can get them at Canadian Tower. You can get them at your dealership. And they they have a foam uh, attachment that just scrapes the snow right off your roof. Obviously, if it's frozen, you need to let your car warm up first, but it works beautifully. Some people like myself don't even have to stand in their car. Laugh of the day. Bye.
6: Yeah, you were talking about how to get snow off the top of your vehicle. If you're using a plastic shovel, all you got to do is lift the top of the shovel up over and scrape the snow towards yourself, and that'll take care of all the snow off the roof of your vehicle. Thank you. Not a steel one, but a plastic one. Turn it
0: backwards. Thank you.
6: I was going to say, oh, my goodness. Right. I wouldn't want
1: to scrape up my vehicle. But, yeah. uh, but we're, you know, when you talk about a commercial vehicle, mm-hmm. though, I mean. That would be tough. It would be tough. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they have ways and means to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's just a matter of, I guess, of taking the time or remembering to do that. Because, you know, when you're, when sight unseen right I mean if yeah. you're walking around the side of a large vehicle you're not going to see
2: that up there you're not going to know it's there until boom too late and we're all trying to pay attention to making sure all the windows are uh, are cleared off so I can see how we forget about the roof but now after seeing that picture I can't unsee it No, so for I know sure. the importance of that now and you
1: know what we're all guilty of it because
2: oh. how many times yeah,
1: we in are. The, in a, o- over the winter you know you'll be stopped at a, at a sign and all of a sudden
2: shoot, yes, it all falls down down
1: onto your windshield and and you're too like heavy uh, for your wiper sometimes uh, what's too what's going on yeah. oh my gosh I didn't realize all of this yeah. right so it's easy for even you know on a vehicle that you can actually see the roof yeah uh, how you forget it Interesting. Let alone a larger vehicle. So yeah, it can do an awful lot of damage, as as we just saw. And if you haven't seen a picture of the damage caused, uh, check it out on vocm.com. It, it'll open your eyes.
2: It really will. I think more. I really believe after people look at that vehicle picture, that people are going to think twice when they're you know starting up their rig. They're, they are going to have that look on the roof because that is life changing. Yeah,
1: and that driver uh, must have really had their wits about them because for one. Your, your view is obscured. For a second, you're trying to process what just happened. Right. And you're on the highway. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to pull over with your view obscured, traffic around you, no doubt, You know, either behind you or in front of you or on the side of you. Yeah, uh, must have been that driver must have really had their wits about them. Anyway, if anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. I see a couple of uh, calls coming in there now. Well, uh, talks to renegotiate the upper Churchill contract are uh, surrounded by secrecy, leading to questions about what exactly is on the table and how Newfoundland and Labrador intends to address or right the wrong that is the current lopsided contract. Well, consumer advocate Dennis Brown had an interesting conversation with VOCM's patty Daly on open line this morning we decided to revisit a bit of that chat
7: you know we have no real earthly idea what's going on behind closed doors as the province tries to negotiate with uh, hydro quebec and the province of quebec regarding 2041 but what do you make of uh, roger grimes look back to 2002 and the consensus between the two provinces that gull island would be a goal and quebec maybe be uh, be willing to finance the four billion dollar price tag where do you think that goes
6: Uh, I think that that is a a topic of discussion for sure. And a lot of this came up uh, during the Commission of Inquiry respecting Muskrat Falls because the commissioner did a segment of that hearing um, called Looking Forward. And what he did was he had experts uh, look at the situation in which we would uh, find ourselves in 2041 and what we should be doing in anticipation of that. And uh, he said uh, this, he writes very, very well. He said Hydro-Quebec uh, has 34.2% of CFL Co. shares, Newfoundland Power, or, uh, no, I'm sorry, Newfoundland Hydro, uh, the government has uh, uh, the re- remaining uh, shares of uh, CFL Co. Uh, so, um, and he said the... These are going to be very difficult discussions with uh, with Hydro Quebec uh, 2041, and they should be discussing it now because uh, we're within 20 years of the expiration of that. And most people plan their electricity, these big projects, over a 20-year period. So we're into the period. There's no doubt about that. So the commissioner said uh, that. Uh, both sides will need to compromise when we're dealing with that contract. They have uh, the transmission network. We have the generation, but they own 34 percent of the generation, too, uh, through their shares in CFLCO. Um, the remaining 65.8 percent shares are owned by the government of Newfoundland. So he said there should be a compromise and we're going to have to work things out. Uh, But he cautioned against expecting any kind of massive windfall. And I think uh, he's correct there. So um, a lot of people haven't read the report. The report came out right before COVID and everyone got uh, absorbed with COVID, and uh, the, the Musgrave Falls, the misguided project, and the commissioner's report probably uh, took a back burner. Um, but the commissioner also talked about uh, Gull Island, and he said we shouldn't shy away from dealing with Gull Island, but of course uh, the province itself uh, would have no no money to put into Gull Island. But it could be, he said, uh, that uh, a part of the bargaining with Hydro-Quebec uh, could uh, include Gull Island. So he looked at all that at the time. So this has been looked at, and, and the government already has taken the commissioner's advice. They sent up a... Um uh, an expert panel, uh, which was something we recommended to the commission. We recommended uh, that the commissioner suggest an expert panel to examine um, 2041 and to uh, uh, make suggestions. So the government has already done that. That panel is assembled and has assembled and made recommendations. And now the government has stated publicly they have a, uh, a three person technical uh, team in place. Uh, Uh, for dealing with uh, discussions with Hydro-Quebec. So that's where we are with it. But all of this is anticipated, and uh, the commissioner himself uh, uh, advocated that uh, these things could be done and could be done successfully if we are all willing to compromise.
7: And that's a big word, <coughs> if and compromise. Uh, I've tried to extend it a little step further, and I'll interesting to get your thoughts on it. You know, when we talk about equalization, I think hydro plays a massive role in equalization payments that go to province of Quebec. They're able to subsidize rates to their rate pairs because they buy a lot of power from the upper Churchill at 0.2 cents per kilowatt hour. Consequently, they kind of cooked the books on the hydro Quebec side, and they are... Uh, if they had to increase their rates by $0.04, cents, much closer to general market rates, their equalization payment would fall from thirteen point one to $5.1 billion. Do you think that's a lever we can pull? Uh,
6: I think it's something that uh, they will be very concerned with, but obviously there will have to be uh, fair market prices for electricity uh, in the future so after 2041 there has to be fair market prices and fair market prices uh, will be determined uh, by the market forces in play uh, right now there's no one doing any kind of long contracts for electricity most people are buying on the spot market most uh, most provinces and states in the United States uh, are weary of uh, of any kind of contract the spot markets seem to provide cheap Cheaper, so there are all kinds of issues out there uh, in play. However, with 2041, I think there will have to be some kind of written contract. because of the magnitude of it. I mean, we're dealing mm-hmm. with 5,400 megawatts. And uh, Hydro-Quebec will want that certainty, and we will want that certainty too. Uh, but, of course, there will have to be escalation clauses, but the cost of living, etc. So I think everyone is aware of the issues, and um, uh, our negotiators will be uh, well aware of the issues. They already had the benefit of, the, uh, uh, of Commissioner LeBlanc's uh, uh, Advocacy of having an expert panel in play to to deal with that, and um, they, that's already been done. So we're we're a bit ahead of the game, and uh, I can see why we would not want to be negotiating in public. Um, Uh, That wouldn't serve anyone's interest. So uh, at some point though, uh, uh, all these matters will have to uh, be debated and uh, be approved by legislation.
7: I think the federal government plays a role here too, not just in the form of loan guarantees but actual cash on the barrel head. If federal government policy regarding immigration, electric vehicle mandates is going to require expansion and increased maintenance of the grid, I think the Feds play an absolute role if Gull ever gets going. I mean, they've been looking for cleaner alternatives to fuel electricity here in the country so if they're going to drive the bus as aggressively as they have uh, in the recent past i think there's absolutely a requirement for the feds and once again not just in the form of loan guarantees
6: yeah, I agree. I think the feds would have a role. Uh, we have to be careful here. Um, uh, Grimes had uh, the gull Island deal. It wouldn't have cost us anything. We would have gotten just money. We probably would have gotten someone said about a hundred million dollars from it by now in profit, and it wouldn't have cost us five cents. But uh, it turned into political fodder. Uh, one party said it isn't good enough, and rah rah rah. And the other party said it is, and and. Um, We didn't have uh, any uh, uh, objective experts weighing down on one side or the other. So we had to be careful that doesn't happen again with 2041. Uh, it's easy uh, to uh, make a political mess of it, uh, to ensure that no one succeeds. So uh, I think, therefore, that the commissioner's advice that uh, uh, we should lower our expectations, not expect a windfall, but we should be expecting compromise.
1: So that was Dennis Brown this morning on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly. You are not (laughs) um, shaking your head wondering, you know, what Patty's doing on this show. That's a little uh, reprise of that conversation, uh, which uh, I thought uh, was of great interest. So when we come back after the news break with uh, VOCM's Sarah Strickland, we're going to uh, speak with RNC Constable James Cadigan about a new recruitment drive to attract people to the RNC's cadet training program. And we'll get a little Update on that uh, snow on top of your vehicle situation. I understand, Claudette, you have a little bit more information on that. So when we come back after the break, this is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Join Craig Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM.
1: And we are back. Well, the RNC has launched a new recruitment drive to attract people to its cadet training program. The Find Your Purpose campaign includes video and photo elements of current serving members, putting a human face on policing and some of the challenges and the misconceptions about the job. I spoke with RNC Constable James Cadigan this morning. Well, hello, James Caddian. Good morning. So, tell us now. Uh, the RNC has launched this um, recruitment campaign um, to address, I guess, uh, you say the the human side of policing, and and to you know talk about some of these misconceptions that people have about policing. Tell us a little bit about it.
8: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, right away I'll, I'll direct anybody with uh, any questions on the application process to the RNC website under Join, where you can learn about the application process and any, uh, you know, anything that might help you along the way. And, of course, you can contact us by email with any questions. Yeah, so the, the campaign we're, we're launching now, I mean, it's an open application process as we speak. And uh, we're in high schools this week and next. To speak to uh, you know some of the youth who may have questions and and concerns about you know their future and perhaps policing is on their. Their horizon, and they—they they just want to know, you know, what, what to expect. And uh, we really want to focus on the fact that, you know, we're putting a human face, like you said, on policing. You know, we—we we are all uh, members of our community. We reside in the communities we serve. A lot of times, you know, we all have families at home. You know, uh, myself, for example, you know, I'm, I'm heavily involved in sports and different things that uh, outside of work that are very valuable to me. And I think that a lot of people resonate with that. Uh, and of course, or, you know. In in recent years i've certainly noticed some misconceptions of of the job that uh, you know we certainly want to be open and and communicative on you know providing information for people with any questions about potentially making policing a part of their future
1: we know about some of the challenges uh, and you were talking about misconceptions so what are some of the challenges out there when it comes to you know what people's perception of policing is
8: yeah i think that uh, policing has been really given like a hard nose uh, you know, blank type of personality when really, you know, there's no two police officers that are the same. Uh, I look at the RNC and you see a very warm, compassionate group of individuals that I know personally, uh, all with families at home and, and, uh, you know, dogs, whatever it is that they have in their personal lives that's valuable to them. You know, they go home and and unwind in in their own way and and, uh, they come to work ready to serve our communities and and give their all, you know, committed to uh, providing the highest level of service to uh, members of the community that are calling us for, for help.
1: We've seen a lot of the headlines, uh, especially since the pandemic, and uh, there's a greater awareness now of uh, things like PTSD. So, I mean, how do you uh, assure anybody who may have some hesitation uh, saying, you know, it seems like the right fit for me, but I'm really worried about the impact?
8: Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I'll start right away by mentioning that the RNC has recently brought in a, a clinical psychologist on staff that is leading the way in our wellness program here, and, and it's really been enlightening to see that approach taken on here because, you know, I've been here for with the RNC for almost 15 years, and I've seen how this organization has evolved and learned to uh, recognize, you know, the challenges that are faced and the impacts on our mental health when they're not, uh, you know, Faced right away, and, and given a you know a coordinated approach to wellness and safety.
1: And training goes a long way in in helping people to process some of the things that they may face either regularly or semi regularly.
8: That's exactly right, and I mean, as I said, you know, you're looking at the human side of things. You know, there's no two police officers that are the same that are going to deal with things the same way. And uh, it's important to recognize that that's the case, where everybody's different, and we all have different ways of handling stress and anxiety. And, uh, you know, these uh, there's no question that policing is a challenging profession, uh, both mentally, physically. And, and it's important to have the tools and the information to help you best approach, uh, you know, the day-to-day here at the RNC.
1: So uh, we, we're we familiar with some of the challenges, but, uh, you know, I think the ultimate goal for anyone in a workplace is to go home at the end of the day and know that you, you did something, uh, you know, being satisfied with the work that you've done and knowing that you've done some good. So what are some of the benefits of uh, of policing?
8: Yeah, so I, I look back and I think of, you know, great stories I've heard over the years, and, and at the end of the day, I, I think that a lot of what you hear, what you don't hear in the public is, you know, the one-on-ones that occur with police officers and members of the public where, you know, you really come out of it knowing that you put a positive outcome in in motion. And and that's not something that's often, uh, you know, shared because these are private matters. And a lot of what we handle at the RNC on a daily basis are, are very private matters, and we're trying to protect the privacy of the people we serve as well. Uh, what I can say about you know, the members that, that I've worked with and that I see out in our communities on a daily basis is they're very focused on the wellness and safety of our community, and they've got a real teamwork uh, aspect to the way they approach uh, every day uh, in working together to provide the highest level of service to our communities.
1: Do you think that, uh, you know, um, popular culture changes people's perceptions as well? I mean, uh, there's always been, you know, through movies or television shows or even um, news from around the world, uh, you know, this kind of us and them kind of thing. What is policing really all about?
8: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think that as long as popular culture has existed, uh, you know, and certainly has changed, now we're kind of... Unable to avoid that popular culture. It's in our, it's in our phones. It's, it's on our TV screens. It's, it's everywhere. And, uh, you know, that's the age we live in. So it's important for us as the RNC to make sure that we're open and communicative to, to allow people to understand who we are and and what we can do for our communities, and you know exactly what it is that we're looking for in a police officer who's coming to uh, engage in this application process. You know. I think that uh, when I look at, you know, the past number of years and, and the great officers that we've brought in and, and the work they're doing today, you know, it's, it's truly inspiring to see that, you know, we still have people who are coming forward every year who want to support our communities and, and really give back, you know, after, you know, their experiences and, and receiving that same kind of support from leadership and uh, those they look up to uh, across our province
1: has policing changed in recent years
8: without a doubt policing has changed and uh, you know we're evolving and adapting to that change you know we recognize the the challenges that we face on a daily basis and how, you know, it may not be the same uh, a year from now. And that's why it's so important to stay so uh, communicative within our community, within community groups, and ensure that, uh, you know, we're always going to be open to uh, that evolvement that will occur in our community.
1: So, a young person, let's say in high school, uh, contemplating their future, what do they need to know before starting a policing career? What will they need to know acad- academically and uh, in their post secondary?
8: Yeah, so basically, uh, any information related to the application process and what is required will be found on our website. But what I can really touch on is that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we look at leadership qualities, uh, teamwork, uh, integrity. And uh, professionalism is something that, uh, while it's, it's great to have that level of professionalism coming in to the police service, we recognize that the training and, uh, you know, the approach that we provide through that training process is something that's going to develop those skills as well. Um, you know, we're all human beings, and, and, and we're going to, there's going to be mistakes made. There's going to be challenges that uh, you're facing for the first time, and it's important that, you know, you're provided with the tools that you need to approach those situations either systematically or with compassion to allow, you know, your uh, response to be appropriate and professional.
1: And what about uh, somebody who's very interested but says, you know what, <laughs> I, I did some stupid things one time. Is that going to come against me? That was then, this is now, I'm a different person?
8: Yeah, so I, I would say to that person, you know, apply and, and- provide that uh, application process so that you know you can allow us to assess your application and and communicate with you on it and it's a great point to bring up as well is that uh, you know there's lots of police officers here both with the RNC and RCMP but uh, certainly in our police service that have had professions prior to becoming a member of the RNC so You know, there's different situations where, you know, there's members who have IT backgrounds, have psychology backgrounds, business, and, uh, you know, they're all great skills that when you bring them into a police service, you know, you can specialize in different areas such as, you know, sciences around forensics, uh, economic crime, and so on. I mean, this is such a broad uh, profession in that you can specialize in different areas, and different skills are going to be so valuable in those areas.
1: So expect to see some recruiters uh, in high schools in the coming days?
8: Yeah, so actually this week we have members in high schools doing information sessions as well as next week, and we'll continue to schedule information sessions across the province in the coming months.
1: James Cadigan, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's RNC Constable James Cadigan. Uh, When we come back, uh, Claudette's been getting a bit more information about uh, how to clear uh, snow and ice off your vehicle, uh, especially if you've got a really big vehicle, like a commercial truck, for instance. Uh, When we come back right after this, this is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision-makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM.
1: And we're back and... um Claudette I understand you took a call recently
2: Oh I did so when you were talking earlier on uh, about that uh, story where in Bay Roberts RCMP looking for more information on the commercial vehicle that was involved um, all the snow and ice fell off of that particular vehicle and onto a pickup and caused all the damage and so it really um, resonated with one of our listeners in Mount Pearl her name was Joy and her husband has since passed but she had to call in because of. Brought up some memories for her. Her husband was a truck driver for many, many years. Uh, He used to drive uh, a truck to uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, to the paper mill. He used to drive the wood chips from Glovertown to Grand Falls. And he used to have to get on top of the transport truck physically and just use a shovel and just shovel it all off. And so she was saying, Yes, that's something that uh, he had to do for many, many years. So that's what people do. You just shovel it off. But it seems to be labor intensive.
1: Well, for For sure, and I guess, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure what uh, the regulations are or what uh, the requirements are for employers to make sure these kinds of things are done, Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting little... um, I guess uh, it was a
2: memory for her. Yeah, yeah.
1: A picture of what uh, what needs to be done, or what should be done, or what used to be done, or what is still done.
2: <laughs> that seems very labor intensive. <laughs> yeah, for
1: sure. But I mean, it's all part of it, isn't it? It I mean, is. Yeah. Used to be, truck drivers were kind of independent business people, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They sort of had their own thing and did their own contracts with different right. companies that sort of thing so I don't know how that all works now but anyway
2: especially when you're in charge with a large fleet of commercial vehicles I would assume that there is that kind of a protocol of nope, you know for just sure. going right around the vehicle and checking to make sure it's not in the exhaust pipes that kind of thing
1: but if you happen to be on the highway and you're able you know if you're following a vehicle that happens to have and you noticed a lot of snow on its roof or its um, back end or whatever the case may be, uh, you might want to give Stay it a little back. bit of leeway so that uh, when it does come off, and it will at some point, uh, it doesn't hit you. So, yeah, very interesting indeed. What do you think of gift cards? Uh, just came out of I'm the Christmas holidays. season. Yeah,
2: I'm a huge fan. I give gift cards and I receive them. Unfortunately, sometimes I don't use them because I forget about them or I lose them. And that drives me crazy That's when I often that.
1: the case, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you might receive a gift card. It's not n- entirely on your mind. You, you, you open it up. You get a g- gift mm-hmm. card from a friend or a family member. And it's like for a, a store that you might not go to regularly or maybe you do go to it re- regularly you know and so it goes in the wallet or the purse or the or your night table or your (laughs) night table or your back pocket or wherever you know and a coat pocket and then you go about your routine and you know it might be july you'll go through something and say oh my gosh I remember this. Right. Now, yeah. remember there was a big thing a few years ago where some of these gift cards were expiring without anybody knowing. You because know what I'm saying? supposed Unless to be you're
2: a, a rule that you're, they're not supposed to exactly. be expiring. Yeah. Well, that's
1: all changed now as far as I know. But a recent study indicates that $35 million worth of
2: gift cards in Canada are going unused. Oh, Claudette, are you insane. part of that problem? I am a little, but I don't <laughs> want to because I'm a big fan of them. So I'm going to have... This is this is a good reminder, Linda. Thank you for bringing that awareness to this topic.
1: It, it's funny <laughs> you mention that because I have a couple you uh, do? poked away. No, not okay. for me, oh. for my boy. Oh. So, you know, I'm not giving it to him because he, you know... They're going to be lost right. immediately. So I hang on to him for my boy. And then, of course, it goes out of my mind, <laughs> right? Uh, he will remind me. Of course, because it's money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, when can I go get my such and such and mm-hmm. this and that a place? Because remember, I got a gift card. It's like, oh, Yeah.
0: <laughs> where did I put
1: that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) but anyway, uh, so uh, gift cards, of course, a very popular holiday gift. Many retailers say they appreciate customers redeeming vouchers sooner rather than later because the money is spent up front. Um, So, you know, you're buying the gift card from a store for to redeem for merchandise at a later date. Right. So, you know, retailers plan their year around that if you know what I'm saying so uh, like if you suddenly show up with a gift card for a huge amount of money for instance and they don't have the stock on hand right yeah I'm just
2: thinking of restaurants too oh my (laughs) oh yes (laughs) yeah this is painting me anyway
1: uh, Retail Council of Canada Atlantic Director Jim Cormier spoke with uh, your VOCM Mornings co-host Jerry Lynn Mackey earlier today
2: And, I mean, how important are gift card sales for businesses?
4: Well, they're increasingly important for retailers. Uh, You know, we did, uh, you and I chatted about our uh, holiday shopping uh, intentions uh, back uh, as early as this fall. And uh, at the time, it was showing, and it's shown every year, the uh, the survey that we do nationally that you know, it was upwards of 35%, 40% uh, of people that were responding were saying that they were planning on buying gift cards and that people like to get gift cards. So, you know, it is uh, an increasingly uh, growing part of the of the retail business, but, you know, of course, it, it is one of those things that... Uh, you know, consumers, if they're going to buy it, they they do have to at least check to make sure what they're buying. Um, you know, there's no expiry on a gift card, but that said, depending on the type of service involved, like if it's a, a credit card company's gift card, those do have expiry dates on them, and they also have activation fees. So, you know, it's kind of a buyer beware. Uh, make sure that you uh, you read what's uh, what's involved with the gift card before you make your purchase. You know, obviously, it's it's beneficial for the retailer and that they get the money up front, but they, of course, it does sit on their books as uh, as a liability until that uh, that money is in fact spent. So, you know, obviously retailers would appreciate it if, uh, if people didn't leave the money on the gift card for, for years and years, but, you know, that said, it, 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 it really does leave that with the consumer to uh, make their own determinations of, you know, would they like to go in right away and buy a specific gift or, or were they would they like to spread the gift card out over multiple purchases? So, you know, our members don't really have, uh, you know, a strong opinion on it one way or the other, but of course, you know, it, it does make things better from an accounting perspective if in fact, uh, you know, the, the retailer has their customers coming in and redeeming the gift card. You know, what we've, seen it, it sometimes it depends on the product as well for one reason or another you know electronic products uh if there's gift cards that are purchased for those types of retail stores they seem to be redeemed quite quickly um you know i think it's probably because technology changes so quickly and people are always looking for the the newest and best thing also because those uh, those products tend to have a, pro- a higher price point so maybe they use up the gift card whereas you know for places like say a coffee shop maybe the gift card uh, you know, it, it sits with a little bit left on it for uh, for a longer period of time. So, you know, it, it all depends on the retailer themselves. And, uh, you know, the time of year, I, I think that's uh, that's probably difficult to determine as to, you know, when the best time or worst time is for people using up their gift cards. I would assume that in some cases it's it's this time of year because a lot of people get them at uh, at the Christmas holiday season.
1: Now I got my uh, coffee shop gift card during our little secret Santa exchange. Right. That's gone. <laughs> that is spent. Gone. I enjoyed every
2: last sip of it. Oh, I know. That was a popular gift and uh, I love giving that as well. Um, one, This this whole story just kind of brought to mind uh, something. I remember, I think it was during the pandemic, people were encouraging others to buy gift cards to support local. And Some people were gun-shy about buying local because some of the businesses were shutting down. But what some of the local businesses' companies were saying, which they had great points, were even if you were to just spend $25 at this place or $25 at this place, then you're not going to be out a lot of money should something happen to that business. So they were encouraging the use of gift cards.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I, a big part of that was during COVID, of course. But, you know, businesses back up and running now. Supply yeah. chains are starting yep. to loosen up a little bit mm-hmm. uh, from where they were before, which was, you know, w- we'll get it someday. Yes. Uh, and now, you know, so, it's, yeah, it's a very different kind of... Uh, atmosphere. But $35 million worth of gift cards I out there. that. Out there somewhere. Yeah. Floating and in the ether. So use it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Start spending. Um, and I heard you mention this uh, story earlier today, and I'm not sure how it makes me feel. It's almost a little bit of a relief, having uh, followed her career all these years. But a coroner says Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor died from natural causes back in July. Uh, London's Metropolitan Police had said the singer's was not considered suspicious after she was found unresponsive in a home in southeast London back on July 26th. O'Connor was only 56 years old, which is, uh, you know, remarkably young uh, to to pass away suddenly like that. The Southwark uh, coroner's court confirmed Tuesday that O'Connor died of natural causes, which means circumstances when an illness or conditions are not linked to external forces. It did not uh, provide any further details. Thousands of fans lined up in the streets of the Irish town she had called home during a funeral procession in August.
2: Yeah, it was quite sad. And uh, when I was learning about that as well, her son, I think his name was Shane, passed away a year ago. Yes. And in my mind, I was wondering if that was, you know, linked because of a broken heart, for instance. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, natural causes would mean that it would not necessarily be suicide, I believe. No,
1: it would be some medical... Medical,
2: it could be another, yeah.
1: Either something that, um, you know, she was living with and knew about, or... Right. ...was living with and didn't know about, Mm -hmm. which is often the case when you're just 56 years old. So, yeah, uh, so I don't know how I feel about that. It's almost a a bit of a relief, because uh, she had such an interesting story, and and so many peaks and and valleys, and so many uh, struggles and challenges, you know, along the way, and um, uh you know it's sad anytime uh, you know someone who's made an impact like that uh, one way or another uh, passes away especially suddenly and at such a young age but um, yeah um, so there you go that's uh, that's the official word now and uh, you know so close to um, um,
2: oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: I lost his, m- I I know, lost his name
2: from the Pogues. Oh, gosh, yes, I know. I, I don't remember his name right McGowan. now. McGowan. Shane McGowan. Just came in my mind. Mm-hmm.
1: But, yeah, so close to Shane McGowan's passing. And they, you know, had a, at times, close and fractious relationship. Mm-hmm. She was the one that called him out for his uh, heroin use and got him clean in the end. So, um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, she was very. She didn't hold back anything when it came to uh, her uh, views on things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's the uh, the end of our show for today. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, so do join us then. Uh, bye bye for now.